Hello, podcast listener. Welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. This show is the chronicle of my four decades in endurance sports, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. And I certainly have met my share. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. On today's show, I sit down with my longtime friend, Tim Van Orden. Tim is not only one of the best all-distance, all-surface masters runners in the country, he's also an incredibly affable guy and a really deep thinker. His life experiences, both the ups and the downs, have shaped who he is personally, athletically, and professionally. Those multiple selves are explored extensively in this conversation. Well, here he is, Tim Van Orden. Hey Tim, welcome to the show. Hey Chris, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to get the opportunity to uh, to chat with you. Um, y- you and I share a lot of things in common, and um, and I've I've really been looking forward to um, uh, to diving in on some of those topics a little bit a little bit more deeply. You know, just just uh, just recently, you and I had the opportunity to do something together that uh, we haven't done together in, in quite some time. Now, long time. My, yeah, my, my recollection, of course, is always really foggy when it comes to these things. So I, uh, I, I need to look things up to confirm. Um, but uh, recently, you and I had the opportunity to race together, uh, like literally in a live, yeah. <laughs> in a live you know, real, real uh, event. And um, it, was, it was so great to see you. Um, you know, a little bit before and get an opportunity to chat with you. And then, of course, it, it was great to have the opportunity to chat with you afterwards as well. Of course, I'm talking about the Sleepy Hollow Mountain Race um, that, uh, that you and I recently participated in. And, and I believe that the last time that you and I raced together, I believe, was actually at the Sleepy Hollow Mountain Race. Although, again, I'll stand corrected, but I believe, well, I know for sure um, that that eight years ago in 2014, you and I raced that event together as well. Perhaps, perhaps we we we've we've raced in the same event since then, but I'm not sure that's the case. Um, is your recollection any better than mine? I was going to guess 2013, but 2014 sounds about right. It's in that ballpark. Yeah. You know, I I, I talk to my athletes all the time about. Um, really the only thing within an event you can control is your, is your own performance. Right. Um, in other words, um, you know, comparing your race to others, uh, or racing against other people isn't always a great comp because you never know what other people are going through. You never know, you know, what, what, what other people have gone through recently that have led up to the event. And, and, and just as an example of that, um, I actually, I actually looked up, I actually looked up the results from, uh, from eight years ago and, uh, and compared them to, to, to very recently, um, eight years ago, uh, you, you beat me by about 13 minutes. Wow. <laughs> um, now, interestingly enough, it, it was a different course back <clears throat> yeah. then. The, the course is a little bit, a little bit different now, but interestingly enough, my, my overall time was just about the same eight years ago, uh, as it was, uh, just, just very recently. Um, and, and yet, um, 
my performance um, uh, just a few weekends ago um, was, was really quite different as it as it relates uh, as it relates to you and 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 that is to say that um, I finished about four minutes behind you this time right and now so it would be easy for me to you know to 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 uh, uh, to, to make the conclusion that I am somehow gaining on you. But the truth is <laughs> that, again, e everyone is going through something different leading up to the event. For me, uh, you know, I, I had a phenomenal winter of, of trail running and, and, and mountain running. I mean, I specifically focused on preparing for this race. Like this was probably the one race that I was going to do this year. And yet you had an entirely different winter experience. Tell me, yeah. <laughs> to, tell me about your winter experience and, and, uh, and, 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 and tell me about, you know, going into this most recent Sleepy Hollow mountain race and what your expectations were. Well, let me start by saying that since 2015, everything that I do is experimental as far as training and racing goes. My career, if you can call it a career, <laughs> really ended in 2013. And I took two years off due to what I thought was permanent injury. Uh, and finally, in 2015, I decided to come back because I missed it. And I talked to a doctor that works with athletes. Uh, and he said, yes, you're permanently injured, but you can still run. It's just going to hurt. But you're not going to do any further damage. The damage is done. So I'm like, oh, okay. And I started running again. But I didn't run with the same intensity or the same uh, determination or goals that I did up until 2013. Uh, at that point, my goal was to win as many national masters championships as I could. I wanted to win them all. The goal was 5K cross, 10K trail, 15K trail, half marathon trail, marathon trail, 50K trail. Uh, and I won all of them, but the cross, I got a, a bronze medal at cross nationals. So that I was on this campaign to just dominate all the masters trail events. And <clears throat> 2013 was the, the culmination of that. And that training broke me. It, it wrecked my body. Uh, I was doing 105 to 120 mile weeks and it just, it caught up with me. Um, so when I came back in 2015, I didn't want to come back as that guy. I wanted to uh, do it differently because number one, uh, you think when you're trying to win your first national championship, you, you think that it's going to change everything. But what you find out is that after the race, you feel like you've been hit by a truck. You're hungry. You want to shower. You're in some crappy hotel somewhere. <laughs> You got to return the rental car, hop in a plane, and it's a hassle. And you're like, wait a minute, when is my life going to change? When is this suddenly going to make a huge difference? And it doesn't. Uh, you're excited to tell people for a little while, but especially in the era of social media, nobody really cares more than 15 minutes. So if you think it was actually going to change anything in your life, you're wrong. So you try to win another one. And that doesn't change it either. I don't know, maybe eight, maybe 10, maybe it's 15. <laughs> There's got to be a tipping point when my life actually changes. And, and it didn't happen. So uh, 
when I came back, I thought, okay, that that's not the goal anymore. So what is the goal? I love being an athlete. I love training. I love the community, which is why I went to the Sleepy Hollow race last weekend. Uh, it wasn't to race. I just went there because I wanted to see you guys. Uh, I miss my people. And with COVID, it's there's been a strange social void for me. Uh, hanging out with athletes is very different than hanging out with people in my community that are not athletes. Because in order to get to that race and to endure that kind of terrain, it takes a certain kind of mind and it takes a certain kind of training. And I know if you're at that race, you're you're like me. Um, it doesn't matter whether or not we had the same abilities. That's irrelevant. But the fact is you got here and you're willing to endure it. Uh, and to me, I have absolute respect for anybody that shows up. And I like being around people that make that kind of choice on a regular basis. So take me, <clears throat> take, take me back to, uh, to, to 2013, because it seems to me that, you know, as, as we're talking about the, 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 the chapter in your story that is titled Masters Athlete, yeah. <laughs> 2000, 2013 really seems to be an important demarcation for you. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so help me to understand, um, first of all, help me to understand w w what it was specifically that, that broke down and, and kind of caused you to, to need to take some time off. And then, I'm, and then I want to ask a follow-up question about um, what you learned from that, from that experience, from that adversity. So, so start, with that, start with that, Tim. What, like literally, what, what broke down? What, what, what happened uh, following, uh, following that, that 2013 uh, time period. Yeah. So it was a combination of many things. Number one, I had moved up into the bigger, longer races. So I was knocking off all the shorter stuff and the mountain championships. I won a couple of masters mountain titles too. And nothing over 10 K at that point. Um, but when 2012 and 2013 rolled around, I was trying to win the U S masters marathon trail championships. And then in 2013, the 50K trail championships. So I had to train in a way that I hadn't yet trained. Uh, I was doing a lot more vertical. I was trying to get 2000 feet of vertical every day, seven days a week. And I was trying to hit 105 to 120 miles a week. So lots of big runs uh, to get ready for that 50k distance at altitude in Bend, Oregon, or Mount Bachelor area. And I don't have good running mechanics. I don't have the physiology of a runner. And this is something I talked to Dean Carnesi's about quite a few years back. I asked him, how is it that you don't get injured? And he said, I'm just lucky. My all my joints line up perfectly. I just have really good biodynamics. He said, nothing is, you know, tilting to the side. Nothing's at an off angle. Just the joints line up and everything runs smoothly. He said, that's it. That's the secret to my success. I'm born with good biodynamics. I'm the opposite. I'm bow-legged. I've got terrible ankles. My shoulders and neck are awful. They're usually the limiting factor for me when I race. So for me to get up to that kind of mileage, lots of stuff is going to start to break down. So what it was specifically, uh, I get runner's knee very, very easily, uh, patellofemoral syndrome. 
because I'm bow-legged. So I've got a lot of force to the outside on every impact and it's just pushing the patella into the femur bone. So the longer the mileage, the more that's going to happen. And I was wearing um, patellar tendon knee straps. I was icing. I was doing all the stuff just to allow myself to continue the training while in constant pain. So again, this is one of the problems with thinking that winning national championships is going to solve all your problems because it really just creates problems for you. Uh, it doesn't solve anything, but it does create problems. Um, so I was managing that, but the real clincher for me was uh, Achilles tendonitis that turned into bone spurs or a Hagelin's deformity. Uh, first, it was my left heel bone Achilles, and then it was also my right and it was debilitating. Walking was brutally painful. Just being, you know, getting up in the morning was brutally painful as you try to walk to the bathroom. So, uh, and nothing seemed to um, help that. So when I went to orthopedics, they said, yeah, you're done. That's it. You don't, you don't come back from this. Uh, we, can, we can cut your Achilles tendon, get the bone out, reattach it, but you'll never run the same again. Um, so you're, pretty much done. And I took that as a, a death sentence. I took that as, okay, I am no longer an athlete. Let's figure out what I am now. Um, and I was already a coach, but that's really when I started ramping up my coaching because lots of people have been reaching out to me for decades, but I just didn't have the time or the interest. So I said, okay, I, I've learned a lot and I've made a lot of mistakes. Maybe what I've learned from those mistakes, I can help other people not make the same mistakes. So my coaching perspective from that point was, I'm not going to tell you that I know what to do, but I do know what you probably shouldn't do. So let's start there. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I, I, I think there's a number of interesting uh, points that I want I want to pick up on. Um, uh, but 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 the first follow up I have is, um, you know, during that during that period of time during that two year, two year period of time, 2013 to 2015, um, in which you were sort of working through this. And, and, and by the way, I remember, um, I remember back to that time that, um, you actually described what was happening with your Achilles as like, literally your Achilles was turning to stone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, the way that you just, I mean, I'll, obviously I've never forgotten that, that is that, 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 that burned an indelible image, uh, in my brain. And that was many, many years ago. There's a lot of things I don't remember that I will always remember. Um, I'm curious about that, that two year period of, of, of time, Tim, when you were sort of wrestling with the, you know, well, what happens next? I mean, you, I'm going to pick up on on the on 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 how your coaching uh, business blossomed during that time, but um, but but athletically speaking, um, you know you you know just prior to that point, I mean you, you had reached the the pinnacle of uh, of you know of of your sport, um, you know in in your in, in that master's category. I mean you had you had you had been a lot of places and you had done a lot of extraordinary things. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're being told that, um, that, that, that one of the things that probably helped define who you were at that time, which was mountain ultra trail running was being taken from you. 
or it, maybe if, if it wasn't being taken from you, um, uh, it was going to, if it was going to continue, it was going to have to continue in a much different form. I'm curious during that two year period of time, um, how you wrestled with that intellectually. How, how did you wrestle with this idea that you potentially were going from the pinnacle to almost losing your identity as an endurance athlete? From the pinnacle to the cynical. <laughs> Good way to put it. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is it informed everything that I do now, uh, which is identity-based. So the bulk of my work as a coach is rooted in identity. We don't set goals without an identity. We don't set goals without some version of us needing to change or modify its perception of self. So I believe that if I do this, I will be perceived a certain way. And when I am perceived this way, these will be the rewards. This is how life is going to change for me. So the vast majority of our goal setting is about an identity that wants or needs to somehow improve its social standing. And in social media, it's even more so, especially if you're young, you know, kids, I can't even imagine, I wouldn't have survived, you know, now. <laughs> it was hard enough without social media for me to get through high school and college, but now, uh, kids are constantly being measured on a daily basis, especially young girls, you know, with social media, uh, people commenting on their rank, you know, are you, do you have the thumbs up or the thumbs down? So uh, for me, what it was like in that period was recognizing how much I had invested in that identity as an athlete and how part of me wanted to fly that banner even more than before, kind of like the high school quarterback who, you know, just becomes a, an insurance broker, nothing wrong with being an insurance broker, but. Or, very, or, or, know, or there's nothing wrong with being a high school quarterback as someone who was a high school quarterback. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, how many people still live in those glory days? Understood. You know, like this, that those were the best four years of my life. And I, I'm going to see everything through that lens. Uh, I have a relative that was in the military and that was 65, 70 years ago. And that's all they talk about is being in that branch of the military in their late teens and early twenties, as if it's still happening now. Uh, and it's hard to have a conversation that's not about that with them. Their, their identity basically ossified at that stage of development. So some people have identities that they're pretty solid with, they like it. I'm good to go. I don't really need to improve anything. I'm going to go to the race because it's fun and I enjoy it. And it's an interesting challenge, but I don't need to be perceived in any particular way. But someone like myself, uh, growing up shy and insecure and feeling like, you know, the whole world hates me. <laughs> you know, a lot of the, the goals that I set early on were very much about trying to be accepted, trying to be valued. So now suddenly all that's taken away. And part of me is like, well, how do I make sure that people don't forget? Well, I can start coaching and advertise that this is my resume. And to some degree, you have to do that. It's advertising. But I've learned that it's very healthy not to identify with those results. 
to let them be what they are. Okay, that represents a period of my life. It represents things that I have done, but it's not who I am, uh, especially not now uh, in this experimental phase that I'm in. It's the, the funny thing is that now I'm so deeply invested in letting identity go that my experiments are often about how can I do the most ridiculous non-training possible and still come to the race with a degree of fitness that um, is sufficient to do well. Like I'm intentionally not going to do any running on purpose and then show up at this race, but I'm going to do all this other crazy stuff that nobody's ever heard of or nobody would ever do. I'm just going to try it out and show up at the race and let's see what happens. Um, and good or bad, doesn't matter if it works. Hey, that's exciting. That's some interesting data. If it doesn't work, well, why should it have worked? It's well, and you, the, the way you describe <clears throat> that, uh, Tim, um, parallels, um, a, a philosophy that I share, um, not only as it, as it relates to my own personal experience, but, but professionally as well. And, and with my athletes, we talk about the difference between um, ego forward thinking and mm. higher self forward thinking. The truth is that, um, that the ego is part of who we are. Yeah. And so um, we're, 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 we're never attempting to release ourselves from our ego. Our ego is, is, is part of our self. And yet there is a distinct difference between ego an ego forward mindset and a higher self forward mindset. And, and, and again, the way you described it was, 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 was very artful. Um, I, I think that, I, I think the difference is that the ego forward thinking is, um, is, is motivated or driven to do these things for the accolades by which the ego will receive. I mean, right. The reality is that the ego is searching for validation. Yeah. And where does, or where does the improvement? I'm, I'm not happy with the status that I'm currently at. I would like to increase my status. And I think this particular goal will get me there. That's that, that that's correct. And, and, and it also um, kind of gets, it also gets to your point about um, this, um, this search for success. And when we, and when we reach that, level of success that we anticipate is going to bring us a tremendous amount of joy and contentment. Um, and as, as you, as you described is that is going to change our life. We realize that once we get there, um, sometimes it's a very hollow feeling and we, we aren't, we're not nearly as fulfilled with, with this achievement mindset, uh, and being, and being, and, and being driven by achievement, which contrasts to, the higher self forward mindset in which the objective really is the attainment of personal power and the attainment of personal power comes from learning. Right. And through learning, we grow. So, and, and again, you very artfully described exactly what my philosophy is, but in a totally different way, you know, your, 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 your point about showing up at sleepy hollow and, and, and with a, with a completely different type of preparation, and with, and also with a tremendous amount of curiosity, you know, what, <laughs> what, what, what will this preparation result in, right? Without, without any specific expectation of 
any kind of place performance or time performance or PR, you literally showed up with the idea of, I, I, I wonder what the result is going to be. What can I do with this level of preparation? Um, that, that, that search for personal power, that, that openness to learning and growth, to me, defines that higher self mentality. And I really think, Tim, that, um, that these perspectives um, uh, are almost always attained as a result of, of experience. And, and the wisdom yeah. that is that is associated with with experience. I know for me as a young athlete, um, I was all about um, I was all about the accolades. Uh, I was all about, of course, there wasn't kudos back then, but I was all about the trophies and the medals and the awards and the PRs. Uh, and I was constantly driven by by those performances and 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 what I thought was was success as I've become a master's athlete. You and I are the same age. We're both 53 years old. Um, my, my, my search is totally different now. My, my search is, my search is the, is the search of knowledge because I know that in knowledge there is, there is power. I, I, I don't do things for the accolades. I don't do things for the kudos, or the thumbs up. Um, I, I, I do them for the self-exploration. Does that, does that speak to you at all? Absolutely. So, I would add that it's not just that experience leads to that wisdom, but it's often negative and painful experience that leads to that wisdom. Yeah. You said, <laughs> you, 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 you said at one point, uh, adversity is your university. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting now is that where I live as a human being, adversity doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't mean that there isn't suffering. It doesn't mean that there isn't pain. I'm just not bothered by it anymore. I don't run away from it. I'm not trying to avoid it. I see all of it as learning opportunity. And I also see that my ability to move towards suffering and towards the dark side, as most people might frame it, can get me into trouble. So now I'm kind of doing a course correction because I got so good at going to the places that scare me that I did things that were not in my best interest without realizing it. So for instance, um, the Merrimack River race, which took place two weeks prior to Sleepy Hollow, uh, that was the New England Trail Running Championships. And it's a race that I have traditionally done extremely well at. Uh, I have the master's course record there. Um, Dave Dunham just age graded all the performances and I have the four fastest age graded times ever on the course. Um, he calculated to like low 54 minutes. Um, so for, for, a, for a 10 mile trail race. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's a race that I know is in my wheelhouse and I'm aggressive and I know how to run it and it's fun. And I just, I break that course apart and I'm constantly analyzing everything that I do when I run that course. I love it. So when it showed up back in the calendar, I'm like, oh, I thought it was over because Dave Dunham and Steve Peterson retired that race and somebody else just picked it up to revive it. And I thought, well, I got to go, but I haven't done any running. Literally, I haven't done any running. Uh, I... I'll get into this in a moment, but basically uh, I've been a skier for the past year, Nordic skier, cross country. And 
because of another injury that manifested that stopped me from running in late 2020. So from late 2020 until this race in early April of 2022, I barely run. Uh, so I showed up at a 10 mile trail race that was in New England championships full of incredible talent. And uh, I went out there to try to win the damn thing because that's who I am. And yeah, the pain shows up, but who am I in the midst of that pain? Am I the guy that listens to the voice of quit or am I the guy that moves around in my body and tries to find a way to extract more resources or to change the angle of my hips or how my feet are landing? Like it's a constant exploration of the experience as I'm in the race. And I kept doing that every time something would fail, I'd move around the failure into a part of my body that was fine and I would stay there and I would increase the speed again. So I kept finding ways through the pain. When I finished that race, I couldn't walk. Literally, I couldn't walk. I was I I pushed my body way beyond the point that it was willing to go. It wasn't that I was tired. I injured myself pretty seriously. And I had a difficult time walking uh, until about four days before Sleepy Hollow. So it was a week and a half of my legs being absolutely wrecked. I've never, ever had my legs that wrecked before. Um, so one can be proud of their ability to work through pain, but you have to realize that you can be doing some pretty serious damage. Um, so I, uh, I'll make it a very short story, but when I was in high school now running cross country and this, this story kind of, it was the beginning of the end of me as an athlete, uh, when I was 18 years old, it was a huge invitational in New York state. We were the, the lone Vermont school, rural Vermont union high school coming to this gigantic invitational in New York. New York State champion was there. All the best runners from around New York were there. And we're just in awe of these guys. But my, by Dave and I, we've been running in the mountains all summer. You know, we're just doing our thing. We just run on the trails through the mountains, having fun. We're not doing workouts. So the gun goes off and Dave and I are in the mix. And uh, a mile into the race is like a pack of five. And Dave and I are still there. And we're looking at each other with these stupid grins on our face. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Two miles into the race, it's me, Dave, and the New York State champion. And we are freaking out. Or maybe it was just me. I don't know if Dave was freaking out. But I was freaking <laughs> out. I was like giddy with goosebumps because I wasn't tired. And my best friend and I are running with the New York State champion. So we've got about a quarter mile to go to the finish line and it's the three of us and we're way ahead of the next guy. And it's a big hill to the finish line. It's a quarter mile of awful grind. And the high school is at the top of the hill and everybody's lined up there in this like gauntlet of cheering that you're going to run through. And I look over at Dave and I said, I'm going for it. And he looked back and said, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and I sprinted up that hill. And I am just flying. And my coach, his jaw is on the floor because he's, he's standing like 40 feet from the finish line watching this. He says, oh, my God, with this very strong Rhode Island accent. 
oh my god and i am just hammering and grinding and just this this imagined glory is just filling my body i am going to win this gigantic race beat the new york state champion this my life will be forever transformed 30 feet before the finish line my left leg buckles <laughs> oh no and what the heck is going on and then my right leg buckles and down i go about 25 feet before the finish line and that's it <laughs> <laughs> did you so you're on you're on all fours right as the as the new york new york state champion <clears throat> dashes by you dave about 10 seconds later passes and wins the race oh that's phenomenal. new york state champion gets second that's i phenomenal. crawl over the finish line mid vomit into third place <laughs> i'm vomiting <laughs> as i'm crawling to the finish line <laughs> and i lay there and i vomit for the next half hour um it did brain damage to me literally it's not an exaggeration i was in such a deep state of oxygen debt that the paramedics were concerned for my life it felt like someone had slammed my head with sledgehammers repeatedly i was begging them to kill me i was screaming for probably half an hour that someone please kill me because uh, the pain was so intense it was the the most awful experience of my life and the point i'm making is that I didn't feel any of the suffering leading up to that. I didn't feel my effort. I was so excited. I was so lost in some ego story of world domination that I had no idea what was happening to my body. And I wrecked it. I did permanent damage to myself. Now, oftentimes, <clears throat> oftentimes those experiences help to, uh, help to set or reset our yeah. suffer thermostat, right? Our, yeah. our, our, you know, we, we oftentimes, um, you know, can, can reflect back on those moments in similar moments and wonder, you know, what, what more do I have to give? Because I know that I have literally pushed myself to the, to the brink Beyond. of death. Right. <laughs> so did, did, and, and, and again, you were, you were young at that time, but, but did, did, did that experience, did, did you ever draw upon that experience later in life when you thought, what more do I have to give? And you would think back to that time that you literally gave almost everything. That moment changed me permanently. Um, aside from damaging my brain, uh, I was scared from that point forward. That was it. That was the end of me like that. That ruined me. I was terrified that that would happen again. Uh, because I couldn't survive aside from the humiliation because to me, like people have no idea how traumatic that experience was for me to everybody else. It was a joke. Oh, Van Orden crawls across the finish line while he's vomiting and, oh, and then he's, you know, farting on the bus driver who's trying to hold him up and he's, you know, stuff is coming out of every orifice and it's like, Hey, I'm dying people. I'm literally dying. <laughs> so that, that was it. That was the end of me as an athlete. I, I really didn't do anything after that. When I got to college, um, I, I was broken. It broke me. How long, how long, <clears throat> how long did it take you to eventually over overcome that fear? Or have you always carried that fear forward? In other words, have you always gone two steps before your limit before sort of instinctively backing off so that you don't, 
you know, so, so that you don't, you don't push to that, you know, beyond that obstruction again. Well, prior to that race, uh, one of the big jokes was, where is Van Orden going to collapse before the line on the line or after the line? Because I always pushed myself, not because uh, I liked the pain or thought I was tough. I was just scared of not winning. I was so terrified of being weighed, measured, and found wanting that I would literally almost kill myself. And th this was by far the worst of those experiences. But I was always coming to the line in a state of, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw up and I just, I, but I have to keep going. I'm scared to death that someone's going to pass me. Um, so it was fear. Uh, and I didn't do anything athletic again until I was almost 38. Wow. So I quit at 19. Um, I did a little bit of running and skiing in college, but I, I was done. So that part of me disappeared and I didn't even begin to investigate athletics again until 38. And the funny thing is that the sport that I came back into was stair climb racing, like That's up right. the up the Empire State Building That's and the right. Sears Tower, That's right. which coincidentally is the most painful sport I've ever done by far. And that ability to push yourself into another world allowed me to be one of the probably top two, top three guys in the country in that sport, uh, just because I wouldn't stop when the pain came. Did your did your did your perspective change uh, as an adult? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and in, in other words, well, and I I suspect this is this is the case for everyone that our you know, that our 17, 18, 19 year old brain is a heck of a lot different than our 37, 38, 39 year old brain. Um, but was racing different? for you when you eventually returned to, to competitive stair climbing, uh, you know, at almost 40 years, years, years old. I mean, was, was it, was it, was it different? Well, yeah. And here's one of the reasons that I focus so much on identity in my coaching and in my writing, just my research in general, we don't have one identity. We have several, all of us, uh, most people have a dominant identity, but then we have these sub identities that manifest in different contexts. Uh, for instance, you know, most people are very different with their parents than they are with work professionals. Um, you know, anybody that's ever had to go home for the holidays and, and hang out with someone in their family that they're not all that uh, excited to spend time with, a different version of you is going to come out. And your spouse or, you know, significant other may often say, hey, who the heck was that? You know, <laughs> who are you? So, you know, it, if people really think about it, we have different expressions of self with different goals, uh, different languages, different vocabularies. And, and this is well documented in psychology that we have multiple selves, uh, not in a DID or dissociative identity disorder. You know, that's an extreme version, but just as human beings, uh, we have different versions of us. So anyway, why I mention that is that depending on the sport, a different version of me shows up. In a trail race, I'm calm and calculated, and it's a fascinating, fun game that I play. In a stairwell, I'm 
a scared animal being chased by a grizzly bear and I'm running for my life. But that does not happen in a trail race. That does not happen in a mountain race. I'm very, very measured. It doesn't happen in a snowshoe race. I'm even more measured in a snowshoe race, uh, which is almost as painful as stair climbing, but put me in a stairwell and suddenly this fear takes over and I run for my life. And what's fascinating is that in late 2020, when I developed this ankle injury, um, perineal tendonitis, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to take a break for running, but I want to try to keep some semblance of fitness. So let's try cross-country skiing. And I stopped cross-country skiing when I was 19. I'm still 19 when I cross-country ski. That identity takes over and the calm, cool, collected runner guy in the woods, because, uh, you know, similar environment, you're skiing to the woods. I'm 19 again, and I ski like a crazy 19-year-old, um, and I will hurt myself, which I discovered at the World Championships back in uh, March, early March. I was out in uh, Calgary, Canada, for the Masters Worlds. Uh, I did, the experiment was, if I train for a skier for one year, how good of a skier can I become? Uh, so it was a fun game that I played. But I got into the races and manifested... Uh, SVT, which um, you know very well what that is, supraventricular tachycardia, but um, had to drop out of two of the races and finished the third only by taking it so chill that I wasn't racing at all. Because when I race as a skier, I'm a hammerhead. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I find that really, I find that really fascinating. You know, you, you, you dedicate the entirety uh, of, of, of a year's worth of your life to, to becoming the absolute best Nordic skier that, that, that you can become now. Yeah. That's a game. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's important, <laughs> it's important to point out that, um, you know, where you live, I mean, you have amazing access to incredible snow for, yeah. for, a, for a really, for a really, you know, a significant part of the year. Um, but, but you also continue that training, uh, on dry land, yeah. um, in, in the, in the summer months too. Um, and, and, you know, arguably you were in as good of shape, you know, from a Nordic skiing standpoint that you can possibly be, uh, and yet, and yet the universe served up this, um, this dysrhythmia, um, which I, I believe you, you've, you've had a history of it, uh, yeah. in the past. Um, so what I'm, what I'm interested to know from your perspective is, um, <laughs> it, it seems really, really unfair that this, you know, that this, that this, this dysrhythmia happened at the absolute worst time in other words you know or the best well that's what i that's what i'm that's what i'm interested <laughs> to know what what do you think the universe was trying to tell you tim um you know as as related to that that championship weekend well what i write about so uh, i'm reluctant to say that i'm a writer but that's really what i do i spend my days researching and writing and if you could see the wall over here to my side it's covered with large wooden boards that I write on. I'm surrounded by writing. I have notes all over my desk and stacks everywhere. And I have thousands of recorded notes that I listen to and transcribe. And that's what I do uh, outside of coaching and, and training. 
And as a writer, my focus is compassion. That's what I write about. Because I have spent so much of my life in self-loathing and self-abuse uh, that discovering self-compassion has not only changed everything for me, but it's shown me that one can't ever really find that door unless they've had suffering. That self-compassion without suffering is very, very difficult to embody and that the suffering is your access point. And that doesn't mean I want people to go out there and suffer. One of the reasons that I write about this is to try to put this into a language that allows people to, I don't want to say skip steps, because I think you lose a lot of learning if you skip steps, but maybe let's make those steps less damaging as you do take them. So if you're in a, a place that you're struggling, okay, we don't want to get rid of the struggle. We just want to make sure it doesn't cause serious damage. Let's try to learn from it instead. But eliminating it also eliminates the learning, just like training. You eliminate the training, you eliminate the adaptation. Um, so what? <clears throat> so so what lesson have I learned? Yeah, from like what? What, <laughs> yeah, what, what? 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 What was your What was your overall takeaway from from that weekend? Which Which otherwise. I mean, for anyone else who had dedicated literally an entire year of their life um, to uh, to to an outcome and and having that outcome seemingly that, you know, the rug pulled out from underneath of you very unexpectedly at the 11th hour uh, or at or, you know, at at at, at the you know, at, at the most important time, anyone else would have been incredibly devastated by that. What did you take away from that? Well, OK, so I want to clarify the goal. When I started skiing in late 2020, early 2021, uh, I haven't skied since 89. I, I did some high school coaching in the early 90s, but the team was gigantic and we had so many beginners. I wasn't really skiing. I was helping the beginners just you know, work on technique. So I really stopped ski training in 1989. So when I started again in late 2020, early 2021, I was terrible. I had no upper body strength because why do you need upper body strength to be a runner? In fact, it's disadvantageous to have upper body muscle. You want to make sure that you can drive your shoulders, but you want to be lean. You want to, it's, you know, strength to weight ratio. And if your legs are the ones that are providing the strength, then let's reduce weight everywhere else. So when I started skiing, my arms were so tired and sore. I would go a hundred yards and I would have to stop. It's like, oh my God, this is brutal. And these high school kids are blowing by me like the, I don't want to say the worst, the least experienced high school kids were blowing by me like I was standing still and their technique was terrible. And, and yet it's like, I go a hundred yards and I have to stop. I'm exhausted. So it became a fun experiment. Like, wow, this is really humbling. I'm not used to being this athlete. I'm a beginner. I'm used to being the guy that shows up at a trail race or mountain race or snowshoe race. And okay, there's a good chance I'm going to be on the podium, but now, holy cow, I'm, I'm in last place right now. <laughs> so what would happen if I dedicated myself to this for a year at the age of, at that point, 52, like how good could I get? I don't know. Let's find 
out. Let's really immerse ourselves. But here's the, the thing. I don't want you to try. I don't want you to take it seriously. And I don't want you to try hard. I just want you to gently train because I know that high school kid is still there. I know the 19-year-old is the one that wants to ski. Don't ski with him. Let's just intentionally go easy, easy, easy. And little by little, the arms started to deal with the soreness. I could ski for a mile without my arms falling off. And then that improved over time. And I started watching ski races on YouTube. Just, okay, what's the new technique? This is not the technique that I raced with in the 80s. It's a whole new technique they've got now. So I've got to relearn how to ski. So I became a student of the technical aspects. And then suddenly I became somewhat fascinated by the, the people, the characters. Who are these people that are winning World Cups in the Olympics? And I tuned into this one guy that I really find to be extraordinary still. Uh, Ivo Niskanen from Finland. And he won a, three medals at this Olympics. Um, he's won golds in a couple Olympics back to back now. And in the interview, he said that he trains about 950 hours a year, which comes out to about two hours and 45 minutes a day, every single day. So I thought, huh, what would happen if I did that? First of all, could I do that? Could a man at the age of 52 and then 53, could I train that much? I don't know. Let's find out. So I started upping my volume. I started doing all kinds of cross training to get the volume, but none of it was running. And got up to the point where I was doing three hours a day. Okay, how long can I hold on to this? Let's see if I can go two weeks. Okay, I did it. All right, let's see if I can go a month. Hey, there's a month. How about two? Oh my God, I, I just did that for two months. I hit 938 hours in 2021, which blows my mind. I didn't take a single day off. I never wanted to avoid the training because it was a game. I wasn't taking it seriously and I never went hard. I just focused on easy volume, easy volume, easy volume, just go touch touch it and see what happens. Touch the elliptical machine and see what happens. Touch the treadmill at a 15.6% grade, which is how I leave it at a 15.6% grade. Touch it and see what happens. Put your roller skis on and just go out and see what happens. And it almost always ended up being a day of two hours and 45 minutes. So, so don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't you think a, a big, a big key to that success? In other words, that the, the ability to be the ability to put that many consecutive days together and the ability to, uh, you know, to hit that total activity time number. Don't you think it has a lot to do with two things? Um, one, uh, the consistency, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't as though you were doing, you know, tw a 20 hour week and then the next week you were at a four hour week and then no. you were at 70 hours no. and then you were at 10 hours that, that week, over week, your activity consistency from a duration standpoint was pretty stable. Um, and then secondly, the, 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 activity, the activity diversity, right? In other yeah. words, you weren't yep. doing the same activity 
every single day. I totally agree with you as well that 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 the that the intensity part is also a really profoundly important variable. But those, you know, and and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of really important lessons embedded in that in that Tim um, consistency, right? In other words, and <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I've had a very similar experience. Uh, I'm going on um, almost three years now of a daily physical activity streak in which I have not taken a day off in almost awesome. three years. <laughs> um, routinely, uh, my total activity duration uh, each week is somewhere in the in the 15, 16, 17, 18 hour uh, range. Which is and that awesome. is, and it includes multiple activities um, from strength training to to running to snowshoeing to 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 Nordic skiing and 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 cycling uh, and also walking. Uh, I record my I record my backcountry bushwhack bushwhacks yeah. with my dogs as as a form of physical activity, and much like you, the combination um, of consistency, of uh, variability from an activity perspective, um, and uh, occasionally I push hard, but probably eighty percent of my activity plus um, is done at a at a very low intensity. All of those things combine to an extraordinary level of general fitness so that when you are ready to specifically prepare for an event, right, you can take eight weeks or 10 weeks or whatever it is that you want to do with that level of general fitness, and you can really get specific and you can, you can start to sprinkle in workouts um, without any risk uh, of untoward event with respect to overtraining because you're general level of fitness is so extraordinarily high. I got to ask you this. Um, uh, you, you are probably one of the most informative and interesting follows on Strava. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to tell you why <laughs> the elliptical is a really important modality for you. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, you, you described it. Um, and it's, it, you know, it seems to me that it, that it, it's, it's one non-impact, low intensity way to add a lot of activity volume. Now, interestingly enough, um, <laughs> you've, you have you have you have seen your time on the elliptical as an interesting opportunity to review movies. So you <laughs> are you, <laughs> you you have to tell me where 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 did this movie review on the elliptical thing start? Because uh, it's obviously a thing. Because every time I'm I scroll through my Strava feed, I see you reviewing uh, another film, and there's always lots of thumbs up, and there's always well, occasionally there's a lot of comments back and forth about a particular movie. Why did you Why did you start reviewing movies while you were spending time on the elliptical? How did that all start? So, <clears throat> it started with the fact that I really don't like indoor exercise machines. <laughs> and I was dealing with that running injury. It was the fall. So nasty weather in Vermont. The trails are muddy. Um, I couldn't really go out on the trails anyway. Um, I wasn't skiing yet because that didn't happen until after this. So I found an elliptical machine and somebody's, uh, people put them on the street. It was, you know, and in front of somebody's house. And if you drive around any town long enough, you'll find an elliptical or a treadmill out on the street. 
So, so I saw it and I'm like, huh, that looks like it, it would be much better than an exercise bike. I really don't like being crunched over and sitting on the seat. So I tried it out on the street in front of their house. I'm like, oh, wow, it works well. So I took it home or took it here to the studio. I don't know. There, where is it? It's right there. That's my shirts hanging on it. <laughs> and uh, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll bring this. I'll put it here in the studio in front of the TV. And we'll, I don't know, we'll just get on it and see what happens. Well, I got on it and, oh, God, this sucks. So popped on a movie and it started with how long can i go on this machine and by the way the <clears throat> the electronics don't work so it's stuck in a high gear it's stuck in a, like a very difficult intensity <laughs> so it's just i always go at the same intensity because <laughs> the batteries <laughs> the system doesn't work anyway so it, it's all an experiment chris it's all just one grand experiment so it became okay i went on this particular movie for five minutes before I looked at my watch, because all I care about is how long have I been on this damn machine? I hate it. I went five minutes and then I came to a movie. Oh my God, I haven't looked at my watch for 30 minutes. So it started with how long uh, does it take before I look at my watch and the better the movie is, or the more grindable, I, I call it the grindability score. Uh, if a, a movie has high grindability, I'm not going to look at my watch for a really long time. I'm going to forget that I'm on the machine. And so it began as what movies are the best grind films? Like if you keep looking at your watch, it's a crappy movie. It's a bad grind film. But if, if you can watch the entire movie without looking at your watch, that is an A plus grinder. So that that's how it evolved. <laughs> it is it 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 really is a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating study and you I mean you've become known for this like this yeah, is this yeah. is your this is your this is your thing. Um look I, I want to spend I want to spend a few minutes talking about about your coaching um because I'm re I'm really eager to 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 dig into that uh, just a just a little bit. Um so you 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 mentioned that that period of time, um, uh, following 2013, um, when um, when it when it became evident and obvious to you that um, you, you were not going to be able to continue to train and race the way you were training and racing, yeah. um, you you actually were forced to take some downtime physically yeah. or some relative downtime. Oh, physically. absolute downtime. Nothing. Yeah. Did nothing. Yeah. And it, and 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 it, it it provided you the opportunity. It provided it it cracked a door or, or maybe it, maybe it totally opened the door wide open. Either way, an opportunity presented itself to you to begin to grow and develop uh, your coaching business. So, um, so what, what I'm, what I'm curious about is, um, is about your, is about your, your coaching uh, philosophy um, and maybe to make it maybe to make it a little easier, you know, they they say that um, that coaches teach habits mm. and athletes create results. Um, what I what I'm curious about, Tim, is um, with with the athletes that you coach, um, what habits do you do you teach? Interesting. I would frame it a different way. When I do an intake with a new or potential client, 
uh, and I'll, I'll spend a lot of time doing an intake and I'll, I'll have several calls often with someone before we ever become a, you know, in a professional relationship, uh, just to make sure that we are a good fit. And what I mean by a good fit is that I'm going to provide, I guess you could call it a, a structure that we're going to work inside of, and you need to be willing to try it on. And if you're not willing to try it on, it's not going to work. Uh, I'm not the kind of coach that gives people plans. I don't do plans. What I do is help people see how they're stopping themselves from taking action. And I also help them see how they're loading a particular step or activity or result with too much weight. It's become too significant. So basically what I do is number one, let's make the steps the goal and let's decrease the significance of those steps. That's what I do. So the habit is to not worry about the habit. The habit is not to measure what you're doing inside of a narrative context of progression. Okay, I am at day two in this six-month journey to this particular race. These are my abilities now, and I'm really far away from the abilities I would like, and I'm going to keep checking in and measuring where I am in that narrative arc. Am I closer to my goal? Do I still have a long way to go? Uh, my goal is to get people to throw that out, which is pretty much the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And there's a reason for this. Because, again, going back to how darkness has shaped a lot of my perspective, I've dealt with depression since I was a teenager. It is a feature, not a bug in my life. It is part of my makeup and it's not going to go away. And it's no longer pathological. It was for a great deal of my life. It was a pathology. Now it is simply a lens that I experience the world and myself through and that informs me and provides me a, a reminder to be gentle and compassionate. So through that lens, Basically, what I do is I inquire into people's goals. Okay, why do you have this goal? What do you think it's going to do for you? Which part of you has the goal? Which parts of you are not interested in the goal and are going to fight your ability to either achieve it or they're going to fight the steps? We need to know this. We need to know who signed up for this phone call. And we need to know if that person is who you are 5% of the time or 95% of the time. <clears throat> because if the person on the call that imagines this particular result is only a tiny, tiny slice of who you are in your daily existence, that's not going to work. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with you. It just means that we're going to have to look at the 95% that didn't make this phone call. We're going to have to look at the 95% of you that doesn't have a daily running habit or exercise habit or uh, dietary habits that are uh, in line with your well-being. Uh, so we're going to look at the person that you want to avoid. 
we're going to look at the person that you're trying to get rid of and we're going to work with them. Most people want me to work with the inspired part of them. Like, okay, hey, I'm happy. I want to run away race. I want to lose weight. I want to transform myself somehow. Great. That's fantastic. Um, you, you can watch. You can watch this process, but you're not going to be the one engaged in the process. I want to talk to the rest of you. It's kind of like the exorcist. You know, there's the, there's the demon and then there's the girl and they're inhabiting one body. Well, I want to talk to the demon. That's who I'm going to work with. That's the one that's going to sabotage you and that's going to make it difficult. So that's who I'm going to talk to. I'm not going to psych you up. I'm not going to inspire you. I'm not going to flatter you. I'm going to sit there with you in the midst of your crap and help you take a tiny step. I'm going to show the demon how to take the tiniest step possible. And then the demon is going to start to realize, hey, this hell thing ain't so bad. And before you know it, it's watching an entire movie while ellipticaling through hell. And it's like, hey, that was a good one. <laughs> so as, as, as coaches, you know, our, our approach is oftentimes um, framed within the context of our own experiences. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you mentioned that... Um, uh, that uh, sometimes your approach is to um, help uh, guide an athlete away from the, the way that you might have done it in the past. That was that was while it created a tremendous amount of uh, seemingly obvious success, it, it ended up it ended up being devastating for you physically. Um, so what 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 lessons from pre two thousand thirteen? do you draw upon as you are as you are helping to to counsel and guide an athlete forward like what 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 did you learn in and around 2013 that, that you apply uh, to your approach with a client so number one uh, most people really do think that this particular result that they want uh, is going to change something uh, they imagine it and that imagination often solves the problem that got them to call me in the first place. So I'll be more specific. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of talk about dopamine in the popular press, and it's most often misrepresented. Most people think it's a pleasure chemical in the brain. It's not. It is the chemical of desire. It is the chemical of movement. So when someone has Parkinson's disease, that's a, a dopamine problem in the brain. So dopamine helps your body coordinate movement and it helps your mind coordinate movement towards a goal, otherwise known as desire or motivation. So dopamine is uh, often considered the reward chemical. But again, it's not, it's the promise of reward chemical. So when someone imagines themselves having completed this particular race, like I'm going to run a hundred miler, they imagine that now. So my identity now imagines that, Ooh, and that feels good. When I imagine myself as the hundred miler finisher, when I imagine that belt buckle, when I imagine other people the next day at the office saying, wow, you ran a hundred miler. Oh my God. 
when I imagine that, it's like, yeah, I get to enjoy that right now. And because I get to enjoy it right now, dopamine isn't produced. And dopamine is what gets you to go after something. So people will commit to a goal, they hire a coach, but then they don't do the work. And I talk to a lot of coaches. In fact, one of my clients is a top running coach. <laughs> He's, um, and we, we talk about this all the time. Obviously, never with any particular names. We, we talk very generally about people's issues, but He's like, yeah. He's like, I just don't get it. They, they sign up, they pay the money, and then they don't do the work because they already got the reward. So there's no more dopamine because dopamine is what's going to get you to keep getting out there and get after it because you haven't got the reward yet. But if you imagine yourself, if you get really excited about the goal, you're actually less likely to achieve it. So if you want to achieve that goal, forget about the fantasy and focus on the process. What is the process of a hundred miler? What does a hundred mile athlete do every day? That's my goal. I want to do what they do every day. Like me and this Ivo Niskanen guy from Finland. Like, what does he do every day? Well, he trains almost three hours a day. That's what I'm going to do. Forget about the gold medal. Get excited about training three hours a day. And whatever it takes to do that, make that your goal so that every day, yeah, how do, how do I get the reward today? Well, I train three hours. That's how I get the reward. Okay, then go get it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because um, you're right. As, as coaches, we, um, you know, we, we, we've seen, we see a lot of different types of athletes. And for me, um, almost always the athletes that, um, feel more fulfilled with their training and racing are the ones that embrace the process. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that, that race day or, or challenge day is really the reward. It's the capstone for, you know, the four to 12 or 16 weeks of, of, of event specific training. Um, but the, but again, the, the athletes that embrace the process are almost always the ones that are, that are, a the most consistent uh and b the most fulfilled because it isn't it isn't about getting to the end it's not it isn't this concept of destination thinking it really is journey thinking um and and all of the opportunities for learning and growth along the way i mean if you think about it um e even the longest event you know uh, if it's going to be 24 hours or three days is really only 24 hours or three days you know, in the preparation leading up to that event, you will spend hundreds and hundreds of hours in preparation, yeah. which provides hundreds and hundreds of hours of opportunity for learning and growth. Um, and and like you, um, that is always my focus as well. I mean, let's 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 face it. People people hire coaches, you know, for the most part uh, to you know to prepare them for events. I mean, that's typically why not not in every case but in many cases that's why people are hiring coaches and yet i do believe that oftentimes the most successful coaches are the ones that um, can help their athletes really lean in on the process in other yeah. words you know wh what is your one thing what's the one thing that you can do today that if by doing it it makes everything else easier or unnecessary right really kind of bringing the focus into the now into the present i mean i'm i'm constantly helping athletes redirect 
um, from from this sort of forward thinking. Um, you know, what's going to happen a week from now? What's going to happen three weeks from now? What's going to happen six months from now? And, and in reality, there are so many there are so many unknown variables, <laughs> even even between now and tomorrow. That you know that all you can focus on is just this moment. Um, and and when you embrace the preciousness of the moment. I, I really believe is is when you get the most out of it, without yeah. being distracted about you know what 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 is coming up or you know what's at the end of the of the journey, right? This this destination, this destination thinking, this destination mindset. Um, Tim, I I I want to I want to finish today with um, <laughs> with something that uh, it's uh, be something an eight from, hour conversation something. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could I could easily spend hours and hours and hours talking to you, um, but I, I want to finish with something that uh, I recently started doing that I, I think is a lot of fun uh, because it, uh, it it gives the listener um, a little bit of a unique insight into who you are. I mean, we 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 talked a lot about about you uh, about you the athlete and and about you the coach. Um, there's infinitely more to you than just Tim Van Orden, the athlete and Tim Van Orden, the coach. So I'm going to ask you three random questions. All right. Okay? These are fun. Um, now, can you confirm or will you confirm that you have been not, you have not been given these three random questions in advance? I have not. I, okay. I yeah, I'm right. excited to find out what they are. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little, this is a, this is sort of a little bit of a window <laughs> into, uh, into, uh, into who you are, uh, and also your ability to think on your toes. That's why I think it's really fun. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Three random questions. All right. So here we go. Three random questions with Tim Van Orden. Uh, Tim question number one, what is your animal spirit? Oh, it's definitely a cat. <laughs> How is that? <laughs> okay, so I'm allowed to ask follow-up questions, of course, because it's fun. So is that is that because you are a cat owner, a cat fancier? I am a cat companion. You can't possibly own a cat. Um, dogs have owners, cats have staff, as you've probably heard said. I a cat is kind of like preparing yourself for a huge race. If you just run at the thing, if you run at the training, you're going to get hurt. You got to take your time and you got to coax the cat towards you. You got to build its trust. And you're doing the same thing with your body when you're preparing for a race. You've, you've got to take your time. You've got to let the cat come to you. And, and that's who I am as a, a social person. And it's who I am as an athlete now. Like I let my body come to me. I let my body decide when it wants to play aggressively and when it just wants to chill. Uh, and, and with cats, you, you don't just run in there and go get what you want. You got to do it on the cat's terms. <laughs> <laughs> now, now to, now to, to give the, to give the, the, the counterpoint, the argument to that, um, cats are a little bit of a-holes sometimes now <laughs> because every... you came because you ran right in that's why <laughs> <laughs> but everything i know about you and every time i've had the the opportunity to spend time with you you are the exact opposite uh, of an a-hole so uh all right so I, I i love it the cat is your is your animal spirit tim random question number two ready so your life story has been made into a made-for-TV movie. This is this is actually quite pertinent because of all the time you spend watching movies. All right. So your <laughs> your life story has been made into a made-for-TV movie. When I search for it on demand, what genre does it fall under? Action, 
drama, horror, or comedy? Oh, it uh, farce, perhaps. Is that uh, a brand of comedy? You can you can make <clears throat> up a you can make up a genre if I did not give you one that that neatly fits your life story. Yeah, well, prior to 2013, it definitely would have been in the underdog drama, the the Rocky style. You know, that's what my identity. Like, hey, look at look at this guy coming up from nowhere. Look at him struggle. Look at him working his way to the top. But now it's more of a farce. It's uh, yeah, it's more Monty Python at this point, I guess. <laughs> which also satire which 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 again also everything that i know is is <laughs> totally that's that's it's in total opposition to the tim van orden that i know um but <laughs> but but i love that self-deprecation uh from you i think that's also i think that's also really really telling all right so uh the last random question is a kind of a deeper philosophical question okay uh -oh. so so take a moment if you need to to reflect upon this question um because uh uh it is a little bit deeper so random question number three for tim van orden so i have a time machine in my garage oh cool all right now which would you rather do would you rather go back to any point in time and spend three hours or go forward into the future at any time and spend three seconds? Hmm. Three seconds in the future, three hours in the past. Wow, Chris, that's a really interesting question. I don't have a lot of interest in my past. I can tell stories about my past. I can find ways to uh, create metaphors out of my past experience. But there's nothing I regret. There's nothing I want to fix. It's all foundational at this point. It got me here. Uh, it may have been painful at some point, but now I'm good with it. Uh, some people might be embarrassed of many of the things that I have done. And, but hey, they, they gave me insight. So three seconds into the future. Yeah, curiosity would definitely, uh, definitely have me looking at the future, but I wouldn't try to profit from it. I would just, uh, well, it's it's you'd have to be really well organized because it's literally only three seconds. It is like a snapshot in time. Um, you know, I, I what I find interesting about that question is, I mean, it 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 it's interesting that 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 you came uh, that that you sort of kind of quickly uh, thought about the that question with the perspective that you had, and that is that um, you know having no regrets. In other words, not not really having any interest about going back in time and sort of doing things differently. Now, when I came up with that question, I actually was thinking about it totally different. And that is if I had the opportunity and go back to go back and, and re experience an amazing three hours in my life, would I want to go back and, and, and experience that again without, without any idea that I would, that I would change anything just to have the opportunity to, to live those moments again. And again, I, I sort of chose three hours because it's a, I don't know, it's a little bit longer period of time. Um, um, you know, oftentimes these, these amazing experiences we have are, you know, they're, they're, they're contextual. They're, they're, they're times in which we're, we're going places and, and, and doing things with other people. For me, the future is 
actually kind of terrifying. Like I'm, I'm even just a three second glimpse. Like I, I, I'm actually, I actually would be a little bit terrified to look into the future for fear that I would see something that, well, that, you know, that I, I don't really want to see. Um, so it's interesting that you, that, that, that you, that, that you kind of came to that, uh, came to that thought again, very quickly off the top of your head. Cause I was kind of thinking about it totally different. Well, you know, just to dovetail on that, one of the great, I don't want to say lessons. One of the great perspectives that is gifted me through years of depression is that I have come to terms with my life, meaning that I consider myself to have already died. <laughs> and, and that seems like a strange thing to say, but what I mean is that I've had everything taken away. I've had my identity shattered so many times. And that's really what depression is. It's a defeated identity. And eventually, if depression repeats, the identity just doesn't get back up anymore. It stays down. And if you stay down there and you survive, you don't die, you discover that it's a really calm place. It's really gentle. It's quiet. And all those things that you were so desperately seeking in your life, they don't matter anymore. So I'm so grateful to have made it to this point in my life because what it's taught me is that, okay, I die tomorrow. All right, I die tomorrow. Um, I don't get to go to the world championships and, and stand on a podium. Okay, uh, I got a hernia, double hernia. Uh, a month before the ski championships. And I, I went to the emergency room in the middle of the night and I was thinking, okay, that's it. Skiing's done. That That's fine. This is what is. I'll work with what is um, because that's all I can do. Uh, there's no reason to suffer about what I can't do. Let's just work with what I can from this point forward. And fortunately, the the hernia wasn't as uh, much of an emergency as I thought. And but then a heart issue manifested. And as I was in the middle of a race with my heart rate at 200 uh, and not being able to breathe, I thought, okay, you know, this is what is. Uh, if I die, well, that's what is. Uh, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of the ugly stuff because I'm no longer hoping for anything. Uh, I live without hope. And people might be really terrified of that but it's actually the most peaceful place I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I'm, I, because it allows you to work with what you've got. But if you're hoping for something, then you're saying that what I've got isn't enough. This is not where I want to be. This is not who I want to be. This is not the step that I want to take. But if you embrace the step that you're in with the body that you've got in the moment that's here and now, you find joy. And if the joy ends three seconds from now, well, hey, I got three seconds. And by the way, Chris, the last three seconds on Upper Walking Boss are in eternity. So don't tell me that three seconds is only a blip in time because three seconds can last forever. <laughs> that I, I think I think that is a that is a perfect period 
or or maybe it's a perfect comma uh, to this conversation um, because it it really was extraordinary, Tim. Uh, I, I'm so appreciative of you spending some time with me today, and uh, I want to have you back on the show um, because I, I I feel like as 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 much ground as we covered today, uh, I feel like we really only scratched the surface, and uh, and I'm eager to learn more ab- about you and 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 more about the way you do what you do. So. Uh, thanks again, Tim, for uh, for appearing on the show, and it uh, it was a pleasure to spend some time with you. Yeah, and Chris, thank you for doing this, and it's so great to have the opportunity to communicate with you in a, a pretty vulnerable context. You know, the things we've been talking about have been outside of the the general discussions that we have at races. So true. So it's I'm grateful that you are deciding to go down this avenue and, and open yourself up in this way. So thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. Thank, thanks again, Tim. Yeah.